We find ourselves once again in Mas- Master <coughs> Matthew. This will be a fun evening. Matthew chapter six. But he is. Uh, he is. He's a good master chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Uh, let's read from verse seven through fifteen. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we got through uh, your will be done. And I think something that we have to be careful of as we're looking at um, this is, though we say it every Sunday and though it's, it's a great prayer to repeat often, uh, the idea here is not necessarily a prescriptive prayer. But a descriptive. It's giving you kind of, hey, first of all, recognize who God is. First of all, let's, let's give him glory. Let's recognize, as, as one pastor used to say, we got to make sure we have the right address when we're saying our prayers, when we're sending our prayers. And so, you know, we're not just praying to a great mother earth. We're not praying to the universe. We're praying to a holy God. And so, so the idea here is that it's not, well, you just have to pray this prayer all the time and everything's fine. I think what he's trying to, to get, and which is why it's good for us to have it memorized, because then we have the, um, the, the standard for, wait a second, how do I order my prayers? First, it's to God. He's holy. Um, first, it's that, that he would have his will done um, on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, we know it's, ha- it's, it's being accomplished in heaven right now, and we desire that on earth. Even in our own lives, we desire that. Um, we fight with that, but, <laughs> but that is ultimately our desire. We know as we finished last week with Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things to the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that that happens. And so because we love him, because he first loved us and he poured his love in our hearts, we can go with confidence and go, okay, this is his will being done and, and, and I want it done in my life. And now he just goes to some practical stuff. And too often what happens with us is what do we do? We lead with the practical stuff. Lord, I need money. Lord, I need help with this situation. Lord, I get, you know, just would you change the world? Lord, all these things instead of pausing going, wait a second. Because it's important for us to remember constantly. Um, and I think that, that this last two and a half years has been a real challenge for us to go, wait a second, God is not moved from his throne. And so when we pray, it's really important for us to pause and go, he is on his throne. He is overall. He is still holy. He is not moved by our circumstances. In fact, he is holding us through our circumstances as we look at this morning. So your, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is interesting. Um, I find it interesting because most of us are looking for, um, give us this day our six-month bread. 
<laughs> Give us this day. Um, and, and yet there's a dependence upon the Lord for every moment that is really important for us. Not that we can't have savings accounts, not that you don't have cupboards filled with stuff. Um, but the reality is we do not know what the day, t- the day holds. We have our plans, right? We, we expect that, you know, in a little while uh, we'll wrap this up and we'll drive home and we'll do some things this evening, go to bed. That's, that's our plan. But God, ultimately, because of who we addressed our prayer to, he's overall, God can change those plans. And we, and we recognize that we want his will to be done in our lives. So that means there might be moments where your day gets, I mean, I'm sure none of you have ever had this happen, but maybe your day gets disrupted a little bit. Right? <laughs> and, and you're like, I thought I was doing this, and then this happened. Okay. Uh, you, you know, uh, it's just one of those things that you, uh, you don't, you don't know, or you go to certain things. Like I got the, the privilege to go these last three days to, um, to the convention. And I don't know what the, I didn't know what the days were going to hold. Um, uh, you know, it was, it was great to be there with, uh, represent 200 church, different churches. And that was not our whole district, uh, having that koinonia of, of fellowship together, of unity, um, for the most part. You know, you get guys, or you get people around, they have opinions apparently, but opinions are like armpits. We all have them and they smell. So um, there's a more crass analogy, but I used armpits. So, <laughs> so let's look at Second Peter 3, 9. Again, what is the will of God? And this is a, a, a scripture you hear me go to quite often. Um, and I think it's important for us to always be extremely familiar um, and not stray too far from what we know the revealed heart of God is. Uh, because if we want, if we're praying things like your will be done, which we do every Sunday, on earth as it is in heaven, we should probably know his will. The problem is that often we don't like his will. I would, I would dare to say that too often we are like Jonah who doesn't want to to share the good news with some people. And, and then Jonah shares it with them and he gets mad because this whole city turns to the Lord and he gets mad and God says, why are you mad? He goes, because I knew you would do this. <laughs> and, and so we have to be honest with ourselves and go, there's some people that we would have that reaction to. Um, I hope that as we grow in the Lord, we find that that's less and less. Uh, but there's some people, you know, we pray every, every week. And, and when we're praying for our nation, I, I'm literally in my mind thinking of a few politicians. Um, well, it, it, yeah, it, it no. just is. And, 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 and it's always a test for my heart to go, man, do I really want this person to turn to the Lord? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. But the challenge with the prayer is, does that mean if they turn to the Lord that everything's going to change? No. But for them, it will. They have. They'll go to you know eternity, and and what a great uh, testimony of grace and mercy. Um, but I think it's it's. But it goes down to lower. There's people who have hurt us. There's people who who we have to struggle with. Second Peter three verse nine. But uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So first, we need to realize that the will of the Lord is patient. And he was patient with us. Um, I, I won't talk about the many times that I even know about that I was close to a near-death experience because of my own stupidity um, or car accidents or whatnot that I was close to that God spared. And I'm sure there's so many more that, that God has protected me that I didn't even know about. Um, but he knew where I was at and he wanted to make sure. 
Uh, he has more work for us to do, and he wants to keep us here. Uh, but also those who, the, the wicked, some seem to just last forever, right? Uh, and so you're like, man, come on. You know, these people, all these people who, you know, try to live their lives right, and they, they die and they go to heaven, but then you have all these people who are, you know, meaner than whatever, and they keep going, well, that's the Lord's goodness towards them. That's the Lord's slowness, because he, do- he desires more than anything that people come to repentance. And so his patience is his kindness too, that his kindness would lead them to repentance. First Timothy, no. Uh, And so when we look at his, his heart for giving us daily bread, so we have, we know his heart. So we pray his will be done. And now we go to the practical. Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And it's interesting when we pray for our daily bread, uh, I think uh, some things that is, Lord, give me what I need. Um, because I'm really good at, at providing for myself what I don't need. Uh, yeah, Steve. My spiritual pop was uh, pulling a power trip on me. And he said, uh, uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he was saying, the Antiochian thing over there, that they were uh, continuing to uh, praise the Lord that Jesus is a portion of that bread too. And um, I haven't fully, because I'm, I'm like you, I'm praying for my bread. I'm, I like to eat. Yeah. I got to wait to prove it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just trying to uh, ascertain the value of, of praying down the bread of life. And, and, uh, we'll probably get there. Hopefully. Hold on. I don't. I know there's no paper in front of you to yeah, look to I, read ahead. I'm so. sorry. I, I, no. <laughs> I didn't know. No. The, the footnote here for that um, daily bread on in this ESV says, "Or our bread for tomorrow." So. But it's it's considered the day. Right. So I mean, the daily bread. I mean. Yeah, but when you look at the translation for bread of tomorrow, it's really speaking of eternity. So that's where we get to that other part that Steve's leading us to in a moment. Oh, okay. So. I apologize. No, don't apologize. Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And so obviously we can look to the natural course of seasons and rain and 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 the living things that are provided. I mean, you know, the birds aren't sitting there trying to freak out, trying to figure out how to how to provide. They just get what's there for them and they eat it, right? Um, and and so again, we we have this idea that this is from the Lord. It's from uh, you. Open your hand. I mean, just think about that. God opens His hand and He provides for you. Obviously, we see. Um, if we want to get just slightly, um, it's not out of school, but just slightly imaginative, he opens his hand and we see the, see the nail scars, right, that he provided for us, right? Um, it's not explicit in the text, but I think we can easily go from a, from a post-crucifixion uh, status to go, when he opens his hand, what do we see? His nail scars for us. And that's, again, our provision. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Somewhere in the Bible here. Nineteen and twenty. So 
So as Paul's instructing the, the church, he's instructing them how to, to act. And one of the things he says is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he has provided everything for us. And so when we say, you know, uh, give us our, our daily bread, we're recognizing that he is the one who is providing for us. And so we give thanks in all circumstances. And it reminds us of, um, to some degree, the, well, the manna in the wilderness. And we talk about daily bread. So uh, we won't go back to Exodus, but the reality is, is when, when God provided manna for the people in the wilderness, it was like a dew that was on the ground. And his instructions were that you would collect enough for that day. And then on Friday, you would collect enough for two days. And if you collected more than you needed, the next morning it would be rotten, full of worms. But on that, that Saturday, that Sabbath day, it would last. And, then, and so his whole point was, I will sustain you in the, moment, in the moment. Now, manna, the word for manna there really means, what is it? And so you look at it and it's some sort of flaky type thing that they said was sweet. Um, is how it was described, but they really, there was no, there was nothing earthly that they could attribute to the production of this. It was provided for them and, and it was, it was provided for the day. Now, when people got greedy, um, and they provided more and gathered more than what they needed, um, they, and that, and that really speaks to us spiritually. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the manna that came down from heaven and I provided for you. But if we, if we get greedy with that and don't see that our desperate need for it every single day, that he provides what we need every single day, um, then we find ourselves um, ignoring him. And then he is so nice to disrupt our lives a little bit. Um, and so that's why it's important for us to feed upon the living word of God. It's important for us to recognize that he is the bread that he has been provided for. Every Yes, quickly, go. I want to say uh, real quick, in, in, the, in the text over there when the manna comes down, and they end up whining, carping, and complaining about it, eating manna all the time. And I was just thinking in today's world over there, how often, I, not that I've ever was whined, carped, or complained about where I'm at, but I'm just gonna say the daily goodness that the Lord gives them it's an area of repentance in my life that I probably need yeah. to be more grateful probably instead of carping, whining, and complaining to be more... And that's a challenge in the, in the Christian walk is for us to be satisfied. Uh, you, you know, Jesus is enough, but why do you, why do you find hyper-charismatic churches out there? Why do you find people looking for experience? Because they're, they're not settled with the sustenance that Christ gives. Um, and one thing I like about true, just sticking to God's word, is it is food for our souls. Jeremiah says, I found your word and I ate them. And then in Revelation, uh, John is instructed to roll the scroll up and eat it. And it was sweetness to them. Again, that similar correlation to manna. It was sweet and they ate it. And then we think of the feeding of the 5,000. You're like, well, but there was some left over. But what was left over was left over for the servants of the Lord. And so it wasn't like it was, oh, we have a bunch of leftovers so we can carry with us forever. There was just uh, enough. And then there was enough that, that, that I think what we look at is enough for the disciples. And we also know that, that Jesus gives plenty. 
Uh, we don't need to worry of whether or not there's going to be enough. And so when we come to the communion table, um, there is there was leftover blessing that we don't even realize that is there because he pours it out generously. Uh, and we get our fill. And what I love about the, the, the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, they ate and they were satisfied. And that's really important for us to remember. Psalm 104, 14. Psalm 104, verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And again, when we look at this, we need to understand that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, this is a, there's a duality of it, right? He is the one who provides for us. David, at the end of his life, is, is giving a charge to his son Solomon. And one of the things he says is, he says, he says, all I have is from the hand of the Lord. I have done nothing. I've gained nothing by my own efforts. And, and King David is considered the greatest king of all time, tell Jesus, for the king for Israel. And the Israelites still today look to King David. And the reality is all that he did and everything that he did, he says, I didn't do any of that. God did it all. I mean, how did he slay a giant with a rock? Uh, he said, the Lord's going to fight for me on my behalf. Look what he did. And so the God, God provides everything for us. And when we go to the supermarket, um, even though there's high prices, we look at it and go, God has, has been so good to us. So good to us. And... It, you know, when you go to, if you have the chance to go to a third world country or to, you know, you realize even the poorest of the poorest yeah, it, it, in our society, in this country is very blessed compared to what other people have. Yet, I have discovered that typically those in other countries that have little are much happier than we are uh, because they're, they're actually expecting daily provision. I mean, they're, they're literally going, I don't know what we're going to have to do. Let's see what God provides for us. And so um, there's an expectation of, of that God is doing a thing for them. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, uh, it's very convicting whenever you go to those countries. That's why I haven't gone in a while. No, excuse me. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. And this is, by the way, a great prayer um, if, you, if you ever like to pray the scripture. Well, I would encourage you to do that. Th certain nuggets within the Bible that you can pray for your life. So Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. And profane the name of the Lord. Uh, and so the, the, the author of Proverbs here is saying, hey, give me what I need. Don't give me more than that because then I'll take credit for it. And don't give me what, you know, don't leave me wanting because then I'll sin. Uh, and so again, this is a dependence upon the, on the Lord to give you exactly what you need. And so then when we pray a prayer like this, after we've addressed it to a holy God and who is in heaven, and we know that he has done everything for us and, and that he is trustworthy, when we do that, then what we have as provision becomes what we need. 
And, and so I think sometimes we can pray things like this. And if we pray this first, give me what I need. And then we're like, I totally need that new car. I totally need that new house. I totally need, you know, the new shoes, whatever, fill in the blanks. I mean, we all have things that we think that we need that we really don't need. Now, do we get to enjoy certain things because God has blessed us? Absolutely. But we always go, we hold it lightly. This is, this is from the Lord's hand. We had a, a friends in, in California who, uh, uh, he grew up in real estate. His mom and dad owned a bunch of, well, his dad had passed away, but owned a, so much real estate in the, in the San Jose, Santa Cruz Bay area. He was a realtor and um, he would buy, build homes, live in them for a while, sell them for stupid amounts of money, and then build a new home. And so he had this one home that he was getting ready to sell. I think it was $2.3 million and he finally sold it for. Um, it's a nice home. And they have, um, and you, what, what I loved about him, they had four kids, is you'd go into their house and it was messy. I mean, it was this beautiful, gorgeous, messy home. And he's like, eh, it's just stuff. And that was, he was sold out, he was a sold out Christian. And he realized, you know, if I have this, is great. And, and then when the town turn happened in 2008, he went from, you know, making about 600,000 a year to 30,000 that first year. And he's like, yeah, it was, he goes, it was a test. We had to learn. Um, that, that do we really believe what we profess? And then, oh, side note, he had these cool big old beams going through this one thing, and uh, he goes, they're dining he, he, they're just a he goes, you know, those are fake. I'm like what? <laughs> so the prop makers from Disneyland somehow they had connection to them, but they made the beams so they looked totally real, but they weren't. <laughs> there was no way pairing or anything. I so, would say it was lived in house. I wouldn't say that it was messy. It, Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was. Yeah. There was. There was. There was. There, there was stuff on the floor that that was, you know wasn't dirty. You have that many children. No, yeah. No. It was lit. Okay. That's Come on, fair. We have two dogs and look at all their toys. I was gonna say. I know what fair my enough. living room floor looks like. Toy. Yeah. 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 And then one gets thrown up on the counter. Don't mess with yeah. Dogs. It's lived in. It's okay. Lived in. I like that term. First Timothy six verse eight. First Timothy. First Timothy what? Six verse six. eight. Six eight. The Apostle Paul, again, you have to realize when he's writing to the churches, the early churches were under great persecution. Uh, many of them were Jews who converted to, to be Christians, and so they lost their jobs. They got um, uh, re, uh, excommunicated from their families, uh, and their families would ignore them. And so uh, a lot of them, and that's why you see in Acts 2.42 and, and, and then Acts chapter 5, that they were selling everything, bringing it to apostles, and they were distributing it as need because people were were literally without an income for a time. And so people took care of, of one another. So Paul, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 8, is giving instruction to Timothy, a young pastor. And he says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Wow. You know, and, and for me, it's like food and clothing. So how much clothing is clothing, right? I mean, how much, how, how much food is food? Um, but really, when you get down to the, to the bare things of what makes life good and rich, time with people, right? Uh, years ago, when we, when we didn't have, uh, not that we have a lot of money now, but when we didn't have a lot of money and our kids were young, um, we did the one year, we're like, okay, we're giving each kid, we have three kids, five, so like six bucks. 
and we're going to go to the dollar store and you're going to buy a present for each person in the family. And then so the kids, when they were young, and they, were, you know, they wanted to show mom and dad what they got their siblings, but then they tried to hide what they had gotten us. And, and then it was in the game, and that was just this one year, and we did it. And the next year, they're like, we're going to do that again, right? So for like, what, four years, we did it. And we didn't need to those other years. We, we could, you know, but they just enjoyed the, the fact that they were involved in the process. And it wasn't about the money. It was about finding that, that, that gift. I got the weirdest gift for my kids. That really was a telling of how they saw me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but the, the whole idea was it wasn't about that. The experience and, and being with them and sharing that with them was more important than the items that we had gotten. And those are some sweet moments. Uh, and, and so yeah, we have to realize that, that when we look at life, what are really important? I have food. I have clothing. What makes life rich is, first of all, the, the food that I have in Jesus Christ and I'm sustaining him. But then the relationships that he gives me um, are really what's important. Uh, you know, you share things together. I was in Portland for a few days, and I really hung out with Pastor Pay, Garen Pay from um, Idaho Falls. Uh, he's a younger guy than, you know, um, he's 36. Really, really brilliant theologian, but really like a normal guy. So we had just a great time talking about pop culture and then just uh, theology that nobody cares about. Um, and, and that was fun. Uh, you know, it's stuff that most of you are like, why are you guys talking about that? It makes no difference. No, it really doesn't, but it's fun. Because we're weird, and I don't... Anyway, I hold off on you guys often with that. So we have, give us this day our daily bread, and immediately he goes into, and forgive us our trespasses. And again, this is a great prayer for us, because I think we don't naturally have this desire to forgive. I mean, at least I, I don't. If someone is, it does me wrong, or I just, okay, I don't need to forgive you, just move on, I'll just... Just push them aside and move on to the next person. But when you do that, you feel it in here. <coughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is an empty feeling you, to, until you finally yeah. give it up and say, okay, I forgive I would you. say as a believer, yes. Um, uh, I, for years, was able just to brush people aside. But you do feel it, right? right and, and, and that's, again, the love of the Lord saying, hey, you need, you need to have the forgiving heart. So when we pray this, even on a Sunday morning, all together, it's like, wait a second, I need the ability to want to forgive others. Steve? I according to, to, to your comment over there, I'm wondering if that's not the Holy Spirit reminding you that I have forgiven you of many things. You know, when you said you feel that empty feeling... You know, the Holy Spirit can definitely uh, bring the, the hand of well, knowledge to the seed I, of education. I don't wonder. I don't wonder. I think it's pretty clear that that's the work of the Spirit in your life going, hey, do you, do you want to be like me or not? No. no, I mean, you know, I'm working me into you, not that. So Proverbs 28, verse 13. Um, and just on a side note, Proverbs is a great uh, just kind of constant reading to have involved in your life at some point in time uh there's 31 chapters so you can do a chapter a day and they're not too long and there's just some nuggets of wisdom in there uh so we had a program called um u-turn for christ that i would go once a month and help out with and then lauren i would sing once a month at there anyway but i'd go do music and study with and it was basically a um boot camp for 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 uh addicts 
So they would go on, and that was a program that they would go to the judge, the people from U-Turn, and say, hey, we'll take this person for X amount of time instead of putting them in this rehab or giving them community service. And so um, what they did, what their practice was every morning, though, they read a proverb every day that was and that just completed completed the cycle and that really i mean god's word really works just so you know so proverbs 28 verse 13 whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy again so forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those so well, the first thing we're doing is we're admitting that we're sinners and we need that and by the way until you have received the forgiveness of christ it is truly impossible to forgive somebody else we don't have it within us we don't have the ability to do that we can we can brush it aside we can ignore it we can uh, try to deal with it but unless we've received the forgiveness of sins we don't have the goods to actually forgive others psalm 19 verse 12 psalm 19 12 This is a prayer. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. We got to read 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So as a kid growing up in the church, um, so I I grew up with the idea that, um, and I'm not going to talk about doctrine here for a minute, but but that if I die, it was preached to me, if I die with unconfessed sin, then I'm going to hell. That was kind of the, what they, you know, good guilt trip. It was great trying to keep kids in line. Um, and so I kid you not, as a young person, I would consider the things that I wanted to do that I knew were sin. And I would say, hmm, am I going to die from this? No, so I can do it and then confess my sin afterwards. That was really, that was really the heart that I had. Um, and, and so when we look at this, that's presuming. Let's not presume that God's just going to do things because that's not the heart that God wants. He wants you to go, you know, I don't want to take advantage of God. Um, do I want to take advantage of what he offers and, and apprehend by faith? Yes, but I don't want to take advantage in the sense of to my own demise of my own will and want. Let's turn to Psalm 51, 1 through 2. Steve, did you have a quick comment? I was just going to say, uh, that that's when we go to James, we confess our sins one to another on the area of confession. Uh, I, I really wonder how often we uh, prolong the, uh, the restoration of actually coming to knowledge or, or need or repentance. When we hide things in our heart, we don't confess. Mm-hmm. There's an accountability of uh, with the measure to measure, it'll be measured to you. And I think that grace and mercy, when you find a, uh, a person you respect that, that, that you can share your heart, that it, it makes your sin a little less, a little yeah. less uh, uh, it helps relieve the pressure of, of walking towards the Lord. And that's, and that's why I've become very um, uh, attached to confession and absolution in service. Uh, because, you know, you need, even though 
we know we're forgiven by Christ. I mean, I hope, I hope you all know that because of what Jesus has done, he ever lives to make intercession for you. So he's done the deal. You are forgiven. It's done. He's that, that when we even say for he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that word cleanse is an active a word that he is continually cleansing. Active continual is, the, is the, the Greek there. And so we know that he is continually cleansing. But it's so good to be reminded and to acknowledge I continually need to walk in forgiveness. I need to continually walk in the fact that I have been forgiven. And I realize as a, as a person that is not in glory yet, and have, I, I'm walking around in some sinful flesh. And I need help. Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The same language, cleanse. Uh, that's a continual idea there. Please be cleansing me of my sin, as we see in 1 John 1, 9, which is what we... You know scripture because you hear it every week. You know, if we say we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's First John 1, 8. And then you say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. You have scripture memorized. Um, and it's important for us to know that, um, that God does do that in our lives. Psalm 130. I think that's what my note says. Three through four. Psalm 133 through 4. This is a great uh, humility check. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The best word for there is that you may be revered and we may stand speechless before you. Uh, Because really when you look at that, you're like, uh, who could do that? It has to be God. It's It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, promised us. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. About time we talk about you. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother, when, when, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now let's pause there. That's cool. That would have been a huge, a huge amount in Jewish culture. Should I forgive him seven times? That's generous, right? That's showing grace. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now the phrase 70 times seven does not mean 400, does not mean 490 times. Uh, what it means is that the, to the Jewish mind, that phrase would have been, don't take count of how many times you've forgiven somebody. Just keep forgiving them. Um, that's contrary to even what Peter was proposing. Peter was proposing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go a little longer. I'm going to be a little more long-suffering. <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, yeah, well. And I, I, I look at, at us, and you look at relationships you've had, and I'm so glad that the people that I know, and especially my spouse, doesn't count how many times they've forgiven me. Uh, because it's numerous, trust me. Uh, and, and I don't have to concern myself. I don't have to pull out the tally sheet when, I, when someone asks me to forgive them. I don't have to go, well, let me, wait a second. Are we like at 488 here? Because we're getting close. I don't have to do that. I just, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want to forgive. Uh, and to, to Sharon's point earlier, that frees you. 
it really frees you because then it's not on me. I don't have to worry about it. You know, the offense can hurt, yeah. But if I don't forgive, often that offense causes more problems, right? <laughs> and and the, 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 the Rolaid bottle gets less and less. I need to go buy more, right? Truly uh, a work of the Spirit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ephesians four thirty two. She says that from experience. So. I'm just thinking there's probably a special reward. <laughs> Ephesians four thirty two. There is. So when we pray, Lord, forgive us our sins, or as we forgive those who sin against us. Ephesians four thirty two. Paul is instructing the church. Now, just a, a quick note on that. Um, um, when we go back to Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about who you are in Jesus. Paul just lays out this great, great document on all the riches that we have in the, in the heavenly places. And then in chapter 4, there's a shift. Of course, there weren't chapter markings when, when he wrote the letter. But you see at the beginning of the letter, first half of the letter, this is who you are in Christ. And then he goes, okay, so now what? What does that mean? Now how you ought you to act? What should you do? Because the, the reality is, they were like, you're, every, our whole world's been disrupted. We have Jews, we have Greeks who are together, and, and we have come from different worlds, and now we have this freedom in Christ. How do we walk? in a right way. And so the last half of Ephesians from chapter four on is all now what you do. And so Ephesians 4, 32, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I love that, that he says that, because if I look at it that way, and that's again why, why I think Jesus was very clear to say, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I think, I think there's a thing there. We, we recognize that we've been forgiven. And so then that changes the dynamic. And, the, and, and how then, who am I then to not forgive if I've been so greatly forgiven? Proverbs 10, 12. Maybe let's go backwards. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Relating to one another. So God relates to us, forgives us, and now we relate to others. 10, 12, hatred, hatred of Proverbs. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What's interesting is um, Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. This tells us love covers all offenses. Even Peter is like, well, you know, I mean, again, it's multitude is again, that, that word multitude is you're not really keeping a track of what you're doing. So let's look at that. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. And what's great about this, what we look, when you look at the New Testament writers, they connect so much of the Old Testament that God had put in there that was revealing the true heart of God uh, that they got a little confused with as religious leaders. 1, John, or 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This idea of earnest is in, with great intentionality, um, and, and, and with intentionality and sincerity. And, and so I think that that's a huge exhortation to us. How am I intentionally loving others? 
and it helps if I have a forgiving heart, right? Otherwise, you know, and I struggle with that. There's a, there's a few people in, in my life um, that I, you guys pray for me, that I, I, I see texts from them or a phone call. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I need to work on that. Well, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on that because I know that, that you know, why am I, why am I bothered? I'm being inconvenienced. Uh, whatever, I can fill in the blank. I won't go down the road of why, but it's just like, why am I being bothered? It's not you, by the way, just so you know. Oh, no, I was, I was, well, it could be that it's so completely different from you that you have trouble relating to them at all. I appreciate that. That's I, really I, I do have a hard time relating to them. I will. That's a really good way to put it. I, I'll have to remember. I will. I, I, I just gave you a dispensation. Because uh, well, I have the same no, problem. So I, I just, Sometimes you just can't. But you're just like, I don't, you know. One, one of the guys kept texting me the first day of the conference. I said, I'm in Portland all, for the next three days. For, uh, you know. And then the next day, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm in Portland for the next two days. <laughs> oh, I need help with this. I'm in, I'm in Portland. I won't be back till one o'clock tomorrow morning. Can, I, can it wait till after VBS? Because then he goes, "Oh, never mind. I got it. Okay, great." <laughs> but you know, I'm like, "Oh, okay, Lord, help me," because I don't want to have that heart. I don't want to have that heart um, because that that just gives that just gives room for me to to not be gracious, and I don't, you know, I want to be gracious. And you always have to be gracious. Yes. Uh, yes no. Grace is not always. Uh, grace is not always. Um, so grace sometimes is not, not doing something for somebody. You know, I need to have grace and let let the because pushing them to rely on the Lord more than on me or something else. So. I call it constructional information. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but some people, some people, um, you know, I just look at it from my standpoint. Uh, does God always extend grace to me? Absolutely. So, but I don't have it. And so that's the, the, where the pause comes, Connie, is for me to go, wait a second, I need the grace of the Lord because I do not have it within myself. Uh, and so that pause to go, and, and be honest with you, I don't pause often enough. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me so no, quickly. I... No. <laughs> <laughs> but my brain is stuck in this verse seven before eight. We didn't read that, so. Well, that's why she's talking Live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're recognizing that each day is the day that the Lord has made and that time is short, I mean, you know, it's what you, there's a saying that you say all the time, Kirk, about, um, um, does it really matter? I mean, what I said, is it worth the relationship? Yes. And, so. is it, and is it worth my energy? And that's been something that the Holy Spirit has done in my life um, because I realize the, the, the amount of energy I would expend getting frustrated and upset over circumstances and situations um, or for those people who just don't see things the way that I do or, you know, I don't, they're not, they don't think the way I do um, was really futile. Because it didn't change anything. So I'm wasting all this time and energy and nothing is done about it. And so I, I, I you know, so let's, uh, we'll, I'll pick on myself for a little bit. I, I'm, I love being on time or early, really, to be honest with you. And, and so I really struggle 
uh, with, with lateness or feeling like I'm running behind or if I have to depend upon other people. Uh, like Garen, uh, he won't listen to this, so he's good. But he's like, what time are we leaving? He goes, I'll be there one minute after. He goes, just because he sleeps till he has to get up. And he's like, and I'll be there. He goes, just so you guys know. So we're like, well, that's okay. We're going to change. We need to leave at 710. Yeah. So 7.09 is the time now, right? right? Yeah, that's a true physical need right. he has. Because well, so- no, he stays up late. That's a, We talked about it. But, oh, okay. But, but, well, I know he's got physical. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it's, so I... I uh, I sat there and I go, you know, is it worth getting frustrated over a one minute? That's kind of like not really. That's kind of like when we're teaching dance to certain people, and you go over and over and over and over and over, and over a step, and Lori says, "You can spend a million years with them, and it's not going to progress. Don't don't yeah. fret over it. Just yeah. have fun and continue on." I taught remedial. <laughs> I, I taught remedial math at a. Yeah. Yeah. How many reps? I taught, so I taught remedial math. Boy, we've lost it. No, no, but I taught remedial math at a at a private school, and I'm not a mathematician. And to seventh and eighth graders, and I'd go over a whole concept for forty minutes, and the next day we had two students would walk in and they go, we 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 we've never seen this before, and. That was hard because I'm like, I spent 40 minutes yesterday. What's your problem? Right? And so you have, to, no, you have to realize that, that sometimes, to your point, I mean, it's a great point. Some people don't have the capacity nope. to change the way you want them to change or to progress the way you want them to progress, progress. And it's God who's the one who's progressing them. And your job is to represent Christ. And so um, I'm glad, back to Second Peter 3 9, I'm glad he's slow. And he's getting that. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. And we need to realize God is never the one who tempts us. (laughs) Proverbs 1 verse 10. Does God test us? Yes. But he only tests us to prove his faithfulness to us and to strengthen our faith. The outcome. Proverbs 1 verse 10. The testing of the Lord is, is not for failure. It's always to prove our faith and our need for him and to success. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Okay, simple, simple as that. James 1.13 and 14. James, after Hebrews, 1.13 and 14. And this, is, this clears it up for us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, here's the thing. When it says God cannot be tempted by evil, we can go, well, but Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the Holy Spirit. That's not what it's meaning, is God is not going to be used by evil to tempt you. Because he can't. Because he's not evil. He is good. What about Job? That wasn't God's doing. It wasn't between God and the devil on what? Yeah, but the devil did all the testing. The devil did all of it. And, and the, the, but God, God allowed it. God allowed it. God allowed it. But and Job, at the end of the thing, if you look at what happens at the end, his faith was proven. God says he, he's a righteous man. Not only that, uh, Connie, when you go to the very book of it, he, uh, God tells Satan where you've been. He says, I'm cruising the world. He says, if you, you, God comes swinging out. Have you considered my servant Job? He's bragging on Job. Yeah. 
You know, he, he's, he's openly saying, hey, I, this guy loves, loves God, hates evil. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, he, you know, and... and so uh, do your worst, but don't it, kill him. Exactly. But he killed his family. Okay, that's a whole different yeah. thing. But at the end of things, I mean, I think that the, the story, if we look at it, um, Job was the first book ever written, by the way. It's the oldest record we have of oh, really? writing. So when you read the Bible chronologically, you start with Job. Let's confuse ourselves right out the gate. Anyway, um, but at the end, what does God do for Job? Double up. He restores him double fold. And so the reality is God will not let you be tempted beyond what he is going to give you the ability to withstand. And that's the case with Job. God, God still was strong. Did Job doubt? Did Job get upset? Did Job say, I wish I never would have been born? Cursed be you know, the day I was... Yeah, it was hard. It was not easy. But God was still faithful to preserve him through that. Um, and uh, that's the, the, the overarching. And don't be a doofus friend and try to explain everything away. That's the other arcing thing in there. Because those friends were not helpful. They said some good words, but they were not right. Second Corinthians 4.8. I pretty much just quoted it, but we'll get it a little bit better here. Oh, no, we don't. That's not the one. Good. So we are afflicted in every way, every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So though these things come against us, um, God will sustain us. Galatians 5, 17. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Listen, as a believer who has been born of the spirit, guess what? You're in a battle. You're in a battle, and you feel it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think, Connie, you said it best one time. Uh, well, it was a lot easier when I wasn't a Christian, right? <laughs> and I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. And, uh, there's, a whole lot more, there's a whole lot more joy as a Christian, because I'm seeing, wow, there's a hope and a future, but it was great when I was ignorant and I didn't know any better. I mean, and then there's this, and then there's this battle. Uh, there's just this battle now that I didn't have before. Mark fourteen thirty eight. Um, I say that often about auction. <laughs> That I wish I was as innocent. Yeah, I wish I, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus in the in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the things that he is in, exhorting his disciples in in first thirty eight of Mark fourteen says, "Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak." Boy, true. And I think sometimes when I get frustrated with people who, this honesty moment, who aren't engaging in the Christian life the way that I would like them to, because I watch them make choices and decisions, keeping them from fellowship, keeping them from reading God's word, keeping them from, from hanging out in, in, on a consistent basis with other believers that strength. And I know that's bad. I know that's good for them. Um, but I always have to remember the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And God is faithful. God is the faithful one. And so I can trust. I can trust that he's, he's working. I can trust that he's working. Never my timing. 
Never my timing, even my own life. And then Ephesians chapter 6. And we will wrap up here for this evening. What I'm hearing is that you get most frustrated with the people you love the most. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way it is. Most I love people. I know friends are the same way. Ephesians chapter 6, let's begin at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, Job is a great example of that, Connie. You know, this something's happening in the spiritual realm. I don't know how the devil went and talked to God. That, that's a whole yeah. mystery to me that they I don't have a understand. That I don't know. So, they I, met, I, they I, met in Georgia. <coughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. They met in Georgia. That's right. Um, <laughs> verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints now um, quick analogy and I will share this I, I shared this many many years ago about the the the, the uh, armor of God uh, so the shield of the spirit is your protection you hold it up to dis- to extinguish the flaming darts of the arrows the problem is we peek behind the shield and the flaming darts of the arrows are really enticing and they look really cool. And so what happens is, is we grab one. We still have the shield in the other hand, but we start looking at it and then we see another one that looks really good and we have to grab it because we're not, and now we're left defenseless. And that's what the enemy tries to do. You know, it's, it's one thing to tempt you a little bit. It's another thing to pour it on. And I think you find that with a lot of people as they, they, they started just with the, I just wanted to look a little bit at that temptation. But then the next thing you know, and you hear this phrase, which I don't like, well, I fell into sin. Like, no, you made some choices that got you there. Just so you know, <laughs> you made some choices that got you there. But God has given us every tool that we need. And that's why it's important, like pray and watch that you will not fall into temptation. And that's the same thing Paul is saying at the end. And pray with perseverance that you won't be moved because there is an enemy of our souls. There is a battle that we are in between the flesh and the spirit. And so we need what God has given us and we need to encourage one another for that. I was just, just uh, thinking over there to my grandsons over there and uh, some years past, you know, there's a battle going on. It's warfare and uh, it's a, you know, it, it's whether it be an evil battle, an air battle or whatever it is, uh, they think it's the love boat. I get another meal, I get a, you know, a dance, it's a fun park, it's a fun theme, it's a spiritual Disneyland. And even today, and most people over there, if you were to, uh, I imagine you could start, uh, start a church of the Jesus Christ of the theme park fun fun theme over there, you'd, you'd grow greatly. But if, you know, if, you know, following Christ over there where you're denying yourself. There is a Holy Land theme park, just, you know. What? Yeah. There it is. Mm-hmm. What, where? I think, it, it, yeah, I think it's in Florida. So. Yeah, of course it was. Hmm? I said, of course. Of course. It 
Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thanks for your word. Thank you that you've given us all the tools. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the prayer that you modeled for us so that we can exalt you high and we can know that we're praying to the one who hears and inclines his ear to us. And then, Lord, as we forgive others, um, Lord, you're forgiving us. We're able to give that to others and you're providing every day for us, Lord. And we have the, the means to have escape of temptation because we feed upon the bread of life. So thank you in Jesus name. Amen. amen.